0: Thanks very much, Gareth. Um, Just as we are talking about elections, I hope you all know why democracy is the best form of government. There's nothing in the Bible about uh, democracy, and of course, in the end, we'll be ruled by a perfect king forever, but democracy is the best form of government because of its very nature, it is inefficient. It limits the evil of the human heart to get things done. If you have to vote everything through, it, it slows things down. It's a very ineffective form of government in that way. That's why, I say, Hitler managed to rebuild Germany so quickly as a dictator after the Weimar Republic in the 1930s. But he wasn't good news. And in a democracy, it limits the evil of the human heart. So do be, as you vote on Thursday, thinking what a privilege we have to limit the evil of the human heart And to try and select the government who will be least bad for us as we make that decision. And it is a right that we all need to exercise. We must take responsibility for that as Christians. There's no point in us whinging about saying, oh, isn't it hard to preach the gospel now if we haven't exercised our vote on Thursday to make uh, the decision that enables us to have the gospel preached. But we can still preach the gospel in freedom, so let me pray as we come to God's word. Father in heaven, thank you for these verses, they're so practical, they're so applied Please now be our teacher and grant us hearts that are humble under your word and minds that are fixed on the Lord Jesus and wills that long to obey him and honour him in everything for his name's sake. Amen. Now I I guess, I say, I hasten to guess because I haven't partaken of these things, that Facebook and internet dating sites mean that people need to think about how you define yourselves more. I wonder how you'd define yourself if you had to put up, you know, a profile what would you say? A 47-year-old man, slightly worn, engine in reasonable condition, bodywork okay for the year, maybe a bit roomy. Or a pastor, former vicar in Church of England, former geography teacher, some obsessive tendencies, limited table manners. <laughs> now if you'd given a blank bit of paper and it said, "Define yourself," what would you write down on it? maybe you've had to do that on one of those sites. Well, the Bible always defines us by our relationships. That means that God defines us by our relationships. We are creatures of Him, our Creator. I am a child of God, my Heavenly Father. Jesus is described as our brother, and we are His friends. We are children, all of us, of earthly parents. Some of us are brothers and sisters. I have the privilege of being a father and a husband. We're always described in the Bible in terms of relationship, who we are related to. And the reason that the Bible describes us in terms of our relationships is, of course, because relationships are at the heart of the universe. Our society wants to tell you that you are just an individual human being, regardless of others, slightly more developed than the average orangutan. But the Bible says, no, you're created in the image of a God who is, by nature, relationship. Father, Son, and Spirit, in a relationship of perfect love in all eternity, And therefore you are defined as a relational being in relationship with God and other people. Relationships are what really matters because love is really what makes the world go round. Because God is love. And it's him making the world go round. And in Colossians, we've seen over the past weeks how we've been brought into relationship with God through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are in Christ. That's the phrase, That we are actually bound to the Lord Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit so that we in some way have been taken into relationship with the triune God. In Christ, we call God our Father and the Spirit of God dwells in our hearts. That's who we are if we trust in the Lord Jesus. So last week, we looked at chapter 3 and verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So because you are God's people, chosen by him, Paul says relate to each other in the same way that the Lord Jesus relates to you. Or or verse 13. Bear with each other. And forgive one another if anyone has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. In other words, within the church, you've been bound together by God in love. Therefore treat one another as he has treated you. Or verse 14. And of all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. You see, every single relationship we have is to be lived out in the light of that one relationship. Our relationship with our loving Heavenly Father through Christ. And so Paul says in verse 17, and whatever you do, there's nothing left out of whatever you do, is there? I mean, you can't do something that's not in whatever you do. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, and he would have said thought, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. Very simple. Do nothing in life, say nothing in life, that you couldn't put at the end of it, I do that in Jesus' name. That's what binds the whole thing together. One ring to rule them all, one ring to find them, one ring to bring them all, and in the darkness, bind them. That's the rule of the rings, isn't it? Well, there's one simple rule, one fact, one reality that binds the whole Christian life together. You're an in Christ person. You have a relationship with your Father in heaven in the way you relate to all other people. Relate to each other as he has related to you. That'd be easy, would I could shut up and sit down and we could think, well, that's not a problem. But here's my problem that I'm increasingly challenged on by the Lord at the moment. I have this thing called belief up here and I sing about it and I say it and I even preach it and then I have this thing called behavior down here and a lot of the time I'm living in the gap. So how do we close the gap? And what we see time and time again the Apostle Paul do is he rubs into the reality of our daily life that truth that he's just shown us here that we are in Christ people. That that relationship of love should dominate every aspect of our lives. He takes that gospel truth and rubs it in. And have a look at what we're going to see in our passage. Because there's a, a phrase, a word. We want, we'll make this a non-rhetorical question because it's an interactive Sunday evening. Have a look. What's the repeated phrase or word idea that comes? Comes in verse eighteen. Comes in verse twenty. Comes in verse twenty-two. Verse twenty-three. Verse twenty-four. What's the idea? What's the phrase? How do we do it? In the Lord. That's right. In the Lord. In other words, Paul says, because we saw in chapter 3 and verse 4, Christ is your life and your life is hidden with Christ in heaven. You are in Christ. He is your identity. That is who you are. Therefore, in every corner of your life, you live it out in the Lord. You think about him and then you act accordingly. See, Jesus is to be the center. I've got a little diagram here for you to demonstrate it. You see, so often we think, oh, I've got my church life, I've got my work, I've got my friends, I've got my family. Yeah. But actually, what we are to do is to say we are in the Lord. Jesus is the absolute core and center of our life. And therefore. I work according to that pattern, and I treat my family according to that pattern, I treat my friends according to that pattern, and I rest according to that pattern. He is the core that influences everything else. This is what we're going to see, is two simple headings. We're going to see what does it mean to live with Christ as Lord in your family, and what does it mean to live with Christ as Lord in your workplace. And we're going to start with a passage that ironically in Colossians talks about Marriage, I say it's ironic because it's actually the passage that no one ever has preached at their wedding. Everyone has 12 to 17 preached, and because we're all wimps, we stop at verse 18, and we don't have it preached at the wedding. But it is the section about marriage. So here we go, living with Christ as Lord in your family." Colossians 3:18. I wonder why we don't preach this at weddings. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now, if you are a woman you find that hard, don't worry, you're not the first. Because why else would Paul put it here? My, my experience is that in general, the Bible doesn't tell us things that we either do naturally or find it easy to do. It's not just that our our culture has screamed at you that true life is found in your independence, being your own person and doing what you want, even as a married person. It's not just individualism is the water you swim in, it's the air you've been breathing. And so, of course, you find this hard. But but also, there's a theological truth that right back in Genesis chapter 3... What happened in the Garden of Eden is that the serpent tricked Eve into believing that not submitting was a good thing. First of all, don't submit to God, Eve. Do what you want, that's the way to be happy. And then don't submit to your husband, Eve. No, do what you want, that's the way to be happy. And people have been following that path ever since. But we have another problem with this idea of submitting is that we read the word submit and we tend to think that word means being forced to do something that I don't want to do. So some of you will remember this. Here's a picture to warm your hearts. 1.30, Saturday afternoon, ITV, world of sport, wrestling with Dickie Davis, Big Daddy. Okay? Okay, hands off! You remember that your son age? You remember that it was brilliant, wasn't it? It was before any of this WWE or WWF stuff. This was real wrestling, and in world of sport wrestling, you won by one of three ways. Can anyone remember a knockout, a fall, or a submission? And a submission in wrestling was putting the other person into such a position of physical agony that they gave up. Now that's what we hear when we hear the word submit. We hear it's being forced to do something that I don't want to do by someone stronger imposing their will on me. I'm giving up because it's painful. That's what submission is. But actually, that is not the model of the Bible. Funnily enough, our model in submission is not wrestling. It's the Lord Jesus. He is the one who submitted to his Father's will. Now, that wasn't easy all of the time. Do you remember? John prayed about it this morning. Actually, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus went through agony in submitting to his Father's will. He prayed, the sweat pouring down his brow Father, not my will be done, but yours. But Jesus' submission was his voluntary desire to accept his Father's will for his life. And it's worth remembering, isn't it, that submission here for wives is in the Lord. It's to be submission looking to the Lord Jesus, not submission looking to your husband. It's very unlikely you'll want to submit if you look to him. But if you look to the Lord Jesus, you might just pull it off. Now, it might help to say, what doesn't this mean? It doesn't mean that wives are to be at the beck and call of their husbands, you know, producing the carpet slippers, fetching his pipe and paper. It doesn't mean that they're to be there quietly in the background, saying nothing, waiting for the next instruction. I don't think if it means that, even means that if children come along, they need to exclusively work in the home. Even though I do think that being a staying-at-home mum is a huge privilege. I think as Christian wives, we need to have a good reason why we can serve the Lord Jesus more effectively outside the home than, than in it. We, we don't just go and work outside the home because we prefer to or because that gives us greater status in our society. But there will be women who have children who can serve the Lord more effectively outside of the home context. Nor does it mean that the wife must do everything the husband says. I mean, if the husband asks the wife to do something that displeases God, she can hardly do it in the Lord, can she? But what it does mean is that the husband is the head of the household. He has spiritual oversight of the little church that is the family. So in the end, if there are disagreements, he he has the final say. And submission is, is an attitude as much as an action. It's actually possible for a a wife to submit to her husband's decision while making it very clear to him and everyone else that she's not really submitting to her husband's decision. Wives need to pray for that gracious and loving, submissive attitude. Now, if you're not married, you might be thinking, it's fantastic, it's got nothing to do with me, it's brilliant. But, But I don't think that's the case. How does that affect you if you're an unmarried woman here? Well, firstly, if you're a young woman, I think that means that If you're thinking about getting married, the question to ask yourself is not how firm are his abs or how fun is his sense of humour, but is this a man who I could submit to in the Lord? Could he lead me in Christ? And secondly, I think for all single women that there is an appropriate submission to male leadership, especially within the church. So I think it makes little sense, say, if a church elder's wife is is gracious and submissive to him, but but single women in the church come up and openly argue with their decisions and make mock of him in public. I just don't think that makes sense. But before, you know, blokes are looking a little bit self-satisfied, just look what Paul says as we begin to grin in verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now you might think, why do husbands need to be commanded to love wives? I mean, surely you love them always? Anyway, how can you be commanded to have a feeling? They just feel like this. But of course, love in the Bible is not really a feeling. In fact, it's primarily an action. An action that puts someone else first. That's the way that God loves us. Do you think as God looks down on us wretched sinners, his heart is naturally disposed in love towards us? Of course it's not. It's naturally disposed in righteous anger against us. And yet he chooses against that to love us. And that is what love is in the Bible. It's to put someone else first, whatever you feel. And when the Bible wants the example of love, the problem is again, it goes to the Lord Jesus. So when Paul teaches this principle to the church in Ephesus, he says, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her so here's the bottom line in love men we're to be those who sacrifice ourselves for the sake of others especially for wives and there's a brutal realism about the bible did you see in verse 19 and do not be harsh with them Now, now i wish that was irrelevant for me but it's not i'll confess to you with no pride at all i think i'm pretty harsh with boo my wife i get home tired Note, I've already given myself the excuse. Do You see what I've done there? We do that, don't we? I get home tired, so this is justified sin. I get home tired, and I'm, I'm basically usually ungrateful for what she has done and quick to be grumpy about what she hasn't done. Now, I might be the only bloke in the world who's like that, but I suspect God has put this in his word because I'm not. Husbands, don't be harsh with your wives. So if you're a husband here, it's to be your hobbies that should first go when time is pressurized. It should be you who get up early yourself to read the Bible, then look after the kids so your wife can have a time with the Lord herself before the day starts. It should be your sport on TV or the drama that you prefer that should be sacrificed so you can spend time with the family. Husbands are to love their wives. Uh, in the 19th uh, century, 90s in Tasmania there was a a terrible shooting incident it was not dissimilar to what we saw last night at London Bridge except it was an individual who who went berserk with a gun and just gunned down people in a cafe and and a few weeks later the Australian paper the Sydney Morning Herald uh, published the pictures of those who died and underneath they put captions as to who they were and how they died. Just listen. This is is totally non-Christian paper. Look what they recorded. Jason Winter, 29, winemaker from New Zealand, shot dead in cafe after throwing himself in front of wife. Dennis Levy, 50, on holiday with wife, who survived, shot dead in cafe after pushing his wife under the table. Ron Jerrys, 71, on holiday with wife, shot in cafe while trying to push wife to safety. Peter Nash, on holiday with wife, Shot dead as shielded wife in café. Raymond Sharp, 67 on holiday with members of the golf club, shot in cafe while trying to protect his wife. That's what husbands do for their wives. But I think that we'd find it harder to stop watching our favorite TV program, get up and help lay the table than we would to take a bullet for our wives. And frankly, men, that's a disgrace. You're to love your wives. Now, what about the single blokes here? You're thinking, it's great. I'm not going to, need to love anyone like that yet. But, but as the role with wives, it seems to make no sense if men in general are not modelling sacrificial, sacrificial leadership, whether they're married or not, simply as Christian men. So I think, guys, that means if you're a young man here, you should be the keenest people, say, at the hub, our 18 to 30s group. When people are needed to clear away or set up desks or whatever it is, if they're needed at events, men should be the first on the list to volunteer. You should always make it easy, aim to make your life harder, to make the life of your sisters in Christ easier. By our words, by our behavior, pointing them to Jesus. Elsewhere, Paul says that men should be the ones who lead in prayer it is because of sin that the prayer meetings of many churches are dominated by women because men are not leading in prayer and if that makes a, you feel uh, uncomfortable and it certainly makes me feel uncomfortable well i suggest you don't even start reading the next few verses because look what it says in verse 20 children obey your parents in everything for this pleases the lord now, now do you see this is a word for for younger children here But if you're a young child, say you're under 18 here, do you see the problem? The problem word is obey your parents in everything. And why are you to obey them? Because again, it pleases the Lord. Our eyes are always fixed on Jesus in these relationships. Now, I don't think just because this is a word that talks about younger children, that means that once we've reached a certain age, it's okay, you can be stroppy and disobedient. That's absolutely fine. No, surely not. We must still seek to please the Lord in our relationships with our parents. Actually, most of the ways that we we disobey our parents are not because we're trying to please Jesus more. They're from a basic desire to please ourselves. So we don't help at home. Maybe we just don't go and visit them because we can't be bothered. We don't make their lives easier by thinking of them before ourselves. I think that even as adults, sometimes we should be much quicker to think of our parents than we are and especially if you're here and you still live at home are the things that your parents have asked you to do you just haven't bothered to do yet and it's all the more important by the way if your if your parents aren't christians because the way you treat them will directly affect not just what they think of you but what they think of jesus I know of one Christian student who, whenever he was at home in the holidays, as soon as it came to time to clear up after the meal, suddenly felt that that was the time he needed to go and read his Bible and pray. And his parents didn't think much of his Christian faith as a result. See, children, we're all children. Are we respectful to our parents? And though it seems gender-specific, I think verse 21 is brutally realistic Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they'll become discouraged. See, I think in my experience, it does tend to be dads who are slower to encourage. Quicker to put down. Slow to give time to their children. Quick to demand standards from their kids that they, they don't keep themselves. In our household, it is the table manners gag. What happens is that I sit there at the end of the table and I comment on everyone else's table manners. Stop eating so quickly. At which point the child points out, Dad, why have you finished then so that you're free to comment on our table manners? (laughs) I think dads are slow to listen to their children, quick to tell their kids what they should be doing. I think by nature, often fathers, we are the harsh ones in the house. And to be a father should be to be an encourager, like our father in heaven. You see, fathers should be marked by patience, of wanting to give to our children good things, treasuring their relationship, our kids' relationship with Christ above all else. Do you know a great thing? When when you ask a Christian dad, how are the kids? And he begins to take you through how they're doing with the Lord Jesus, because that's what's on his heart and mind most of all. Now, now, as we end this section on family, let me uh, uh, warn you of one of the greater dangers. It's a great danger I have with these verses is that we become an expert on what everyone else should be doing. Yeah, but Paul doesn't write this letter and say, well, um, what we're doing here is uh, wives, I want to ensure that your husbands love you. Or children, make sure your fathers don't abitten you. Or husbands, you tell your wives they need to submit. No, that's not what he says, is it? We're individually responsible in the relationships God has given us to prayerfully live out what he calls us to do, looking to our relationship with Christ first and foremost. And it's probably worth saying, isn't it, that sadly many of us here will have never experienced a family in the way that we should have done, never known maybe a a loving home. What we need to remember is because we are in Christ, you have a Father in heaven. Who loved you so much, he gave up his own son for you. And you have a perfect brother, Jesus, who so wanted to share his treasures with you that he gave up his life for you. And you have the perfect comforter in the Spirit of God, who has promised to be with you, whatever your experience of family, wherever you go. See, living with Christ as Lord of your family, changing relationships. Secondly then, what does it mean to live with Christ as Lord in the workplace? Now, in one way, I'm making a false distinction in these two headings in this passage. Because in in the first century in Colossae, you wouldn't have had a a work-home divide like we have. The slaves that are written to in verse 22 would have lived and worked in the households with the families that we've just read about in the previous verses. And of course, slaves can be husband slaves, wives slaves, children slaves... it's probably worth saying, before we look at this stuff on slavery, a quick word about what the Bible does and doesn't say about slavery. The Bible accepts slavery as part of the culture of the day in the New Testament. But that doesn't mean the Bible condones slavery. In fact... Philemon which is a letter from the Apostle Paul is about a slave called Onesimus and actually you can see in Colossians Onesimus delivers the letters to the Colossians and it's an instruction to Philemon as to why he should forgive and release his runaway slave Onesimus. The Bible is very clear and the Apostle Paul is very clear that all men and all women are created in God's image with dignity. And it was that sort of teaching that got many Christians, especially most famously William Wilberforce, to campaign against slavery. But if you found yourself to be a slave, what does the text say you should do? Or well, verse 22... Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Uh, By the way, to curry their favour has nothing to do with the red rose and everything to do with trying to win someone's good opinion of you. So so I think the closest parallel here is to the relationship in the workplace. but Because slavery was actually slightly a form of employment as much as a form of oppression. So that might be the workplace as a paid employment. It might be the workplace as a place of study. So if you're at school or college or uni. And Paul again has a simple point. If God has put someone in authority over you, obey them. Uh, Steph talked about how that point is made actually in Peter. That if the government is put over you by God, well then you should seek to obey and honour it. Now, Now do you see the difficult words? Again in verse 22, what does Paul say? Oblay your earthly masters in everything so so they might say look the the deadline to get this work in is tuesday well that means that then god is saying to you the deadline to get that work in is tuesday and you see the motives again in this verse you don't do it because you think they'll reward me for that you don't do it even when they can see you or when that piece of work or, or that piece of uh, that you've got to do will mean a better grade or it'll mean you're more likely to get a promotion no you do it all simply with a sincere desire to please the Lord Jesus now, now that's a great challenge it's a challenge to the lazy and it's also freedom for the workaholic so it's important if, if you're by nature lazy then actually you do your work on time and you do it well don't be lazy you're doing it for the Lord But also, if you're a workaholic, you're doing it for the Lord. Not for status, not for praise, not for likely promotion. It's for him. Do you see that in verse 23? Paul says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. See, however bad your boss is at work, actually, what you need to do is serve the Lord Jesus. You see, we don't serve at work because we want a good career or because we want a better bank balance we serve because we love God and the Lord Jesus has called us to love our neighbor and to live out the gospel amongst people whoever they are so we live like that now obviously if your earthly master tells you to do something the Lord forbids you can't do it Or if your earthly master says you can't do something the Lord commands you to do, you must do it. I'm absolutely certain that Christians will increasingly find that in a workplace where honesty is compromised, they are going to lose promotion and potentially their jobs if they're going to remain honest and faithful to the Lord. I also think that Christians are increasingly going to find that they're going to be under pressure not to admit that they are Christians, not even to have private conversations with colleagues about their faith whereas we're commanded to go and make disciples of all nations by the lord and the great thing is when you serve the lord you know his judgment is totally fair his performance related praise is perfectly informed did you see that down in verse 24 since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the lord as a reward it's the lord christ you're serving anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs and there is no favoritism You see, if you're getting an absolutely terrible time from your boss, we know we can serve them because there will be a day when everyone will be held to account according to perfect standards and perfect information. And similarly, it won't be that when Jesus welcomes you into heaven, he'll say, well done on that profit margin. I'm so glad that you did that job rather than something less prestigious no the words we want to hear is well done good and faithful servant you served me in everything you did and Colossian bosses they also had a warning again did you see that in one? masters provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven in the end if you're privileged and in management you need to remember you've got a boss too Therefore, however important you think you are, you will be held to account by the Master of all, the Lord Jesus. See, it's very simple. In everything you do, whatever you do, whatever words you use, do it as for the Lord. Anything. In the home, it'll transform your relationships. In the work, It'll transform your attitude to the way you're serving. And as I end, I just want you to notice just two things about the Christian life here. The first is that that as we live out the Christian life, we're placing ourselves under the authority of those who God has put over us. So, So wives under husbands, children under fathers, slaves under masters. That doesn't change our value, our status before God. That is totally equal between all human beings because we're created in the image of God. But it is about choosing to submit to people who the Lord has given responsibility over us. And as we submit and as we lovingly lead, we will show people Jesus. Because the second thing that I want to say is that The Christian life is played out in just our simple day-to-day relationships. It's very, very run-of-the-mill. It's about what happens when you go home tonight and you get in chatting to the people in your house. It's what happens when you get on the bus tomorrow morning on the way to the office. It's what happens when you turn up in the workplace or you're chatting to your neighbour if you're retired. It's all those things. You see, Paul has told the Colossians already that there is an enormous plan. God is reconciling all things to himself in Christ. And he's told them, look, God has reconciled you to himself in Christ. Now, what does that look like day to day? What is it to be a part of this cosmic plan of reconciliation? Looks like a husband trusting Jesus and changing his planned trip to the pub to meet his mate. So, they can help put the baby to bed. It looks like uh, someone at a student at college quietly planning out their week so they get their work done on time and they can get to the Christian Union as well, it, even if it means that she has to miss the cinema trip. It, it looks like a wife just patiently and lovingly bearing with a husband who maybe is overbearing and seeking prayerfully to graciously raise children in a difficult family situation. It looks like a father, just turning off the telly or the computer and taking his son aside to tell him how much he loves him, and perhaps to spend a bit of time looking at the Bible together with him. That is what the cosmic reconciliation of creation to its creator looks like today. People living for the Lord Jesus in everything, in word and deed. And as people see that, they begin to think, I want to know more of Christ. Which is why next week, you'll see the thing that Paul prays for, opportunities to speak of Jesus. But that's next week. So let's pray.